It's good to be here with you, as is always the case. You guys uh, are bright and shiny this morning, I am sure. All of you, even the teenager who was up till who knows when last night, right? All of us are doing great today. So good to have you here. You know, uh, I remember many, many years ago, I was, I was uh, fourth, fifth grade, and uh, I had an opportunity to go to a birthday party. Now, that may not sound like a lot to you, but it, it really, at that time in my life, it was this huge occasion because I didn't get to invited to anything, ever. Now, I'm going to reveal something about me that all of you are, you're going to gasp when I tell you. But when I was in elementary school, I was not a popular kid. No. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I told you that you were going to gasp. Like, I was not the favorite kid. I wasn't the most popular kid. We moved around a lot, and, and so I was always the, the kid on the outside trying to get in. And so I get invited to this birthday party. The kid's name was Tommy, and he, he lived on a farm, and so he was having a birthday bash, and somehow, some way, I got invited. Can you imagine the excitement level? I mean, I came home, I get to go to a birthday party, I get to go to a birthday party. Can I go, please, 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 please? Yeah, absolutely. My mom was so excited. You know, we got the present thing, and it was going to be on a Friday night after school. We would go to, to Tommy's farm, uh, and we got to do all kinds of things. It was around Halloween, so they had, a, uh, they had a, a, a hay rack there, and we got on the hay rack, and we ran around the farm and did all kinds of different things, and uh, we did all sorts of activities and had a weenie roast. I mean, it was great time. But did I mention that I was not the most popular kid? And there came that moment when I had this incredibly hard decision to make. We'd come back to the house, we'd had the weenie rose, we'd done the marshmallows, we'd done the hay rack ride, everything is going great. And then they said it. Hey, everybody, let's go watch Nightmare on Elm Street. I can't wait to see the newest Freddy Krueger movie. Now, I didn't know a lot about a lot of things. But I did call myself a Christian. And so there was immediately this tension in my life. What decision was I going to make? What boundary was I going to live by? What seatbelt was going to hold me in? I think of Christian businessmen or women who in high-profile situations in corporations are expected um, to entertain guests from other high-profile, high-up sorts of situations where uh, the people come to their company and, and in order for the sale to go well the next day, they're going to have to entertain their guests. Sometimes that might be 
a ball game. Sometimes it might just be showing them the town, maybe a historical site or something. But for some of the new partners, the new clients, in order to make the sale, you're going to have to take them to a different kind of good time. Maybe it's a strip club or a bar where they're going to get absolutely wasted. And when they ask about it to their boss, they're told to shut up and keep peddling. Because this is the sort of business that makes us more money. I think, I think of the student, maybe like me or like you, who felt like they were on the, the lower echelon of the social platform in their school, in their college, in their environment. And has the opportunity to date up. You guys all know what I mean when I say date up, right? Okay, guys, if you're married right now, you all dated up, okay? I mean, you can improve your social status within the group just by who you're associated with. The, the problem is that he or she isn't a Christian. And you're not quite sure if that's going to work. But man, it would be good to live in that sort of social environment. I think, I think of the young man who has said, I, I want to give my life to Christ, who, who maybe sits in, in churches like this all over the place and, and recognizes that, that, that God has made a calling on their life. Maybe he's even said, I, I, I'm committed to live like Jesus. And he, he and his girlfriend come to church and everything seems to be going well. And she kind of one night at the supper table just begins to say, you know what? We've kind of reached that point in our relationship. Let's move in together. And there is this tension. There's that Christian restaurant owner who knows desperately that if he were just to add alcohol sales to his, to his business and push it on his, his attendants and those that would come to his restaurant, that he could make more money. I mean, after all, his, he's got a family to support and, and he could use that money for good things even. And yet he's decided that his, his life with Christ is really important, so he has a decision to make. I wrestled this week with this, this overwhelming question, like what are the boundaries? What are the lines, right? What are the seat belts that hold us into God's holiness? Oh, what's okay? What's, what's not okay? Can we click in? When, where, and how do we click into God's holiness and hold on to it? This week we're 
continuing on this series that we've talked several weeks through, Letters from Heaven. We're in the book of Revelation and there's these seven churches that are really representative of the entire church. And Jesus is there and and He is speaking to each one of these churches. And, And what we have found to be true is that almost in every one of these churches, right, Jesus is the one uh, that's doing one of two things. Either He's giving us a pat on the back saying, hey, well done, good job, keep going, be faithful. Or, or the other end of the spectrum and He's given us a kick in the pants, isn't He? And He's saying, hey, there's some good things, but I want you to do this differently. And the thing that I desperately want you to do is repent. And I want you to come back to Me. And I want you to change some things in your life. And so we, over the last several weeks, have just lived with the tension of Jesus' voice in our life calling us to be holy. And this morning, as we look at this city of Thyatira and the Christians that were there and what Jesus says, we, we recognize very similar sorts of things. As Jesus calls all of the church to live a holy life, to strap in, to hold on, to click in to the boundaries that would be holiness. You see, what we find uh, is that Satan will always desire to destroy the church. I mean, the devil is always looking for an opportunity uh, to try and take what the church is and squash it to make sure that it, it goes no further until Jesus comes again, folks. There is a real spiritual reality out there that Satan desperately desires to push the church out and away to take the fire and brush it away. And our response, our response as people who have said, I desire to know who Jesus is, our response will mean the difference of whether He succeeds or fails. How we live our lives will actually determine whether Satan wins the church and destroys people now or not. I mean, see, we know the end, right? We know in the very end of all things, Jesus does win. But until that time, Satan's not giving up. And I was asking myself this question this week. How does Satan want to kill the church? How does he want to do it? What will he do in order to try and kill churches? My kids have this video. Maybe you've heard of it. It's Chicken Little. You've heard of this? I was watching this a while back with my children, and I thought, what an incredible picture of what Satan does in order to try and kill churches. There's this fox, and there's this pen of chickens. Now, all the chickens know that the fox is out there, so they have have dutifully, right, stayed within the boundary of what is the chicken house. 
because they know that it's dangerous to leave. Knowing this, the fox looks in a knot hole. And he looks through and he sees all the chickens and knowing that he wants to devour them, he begins to devise a plan in order to get them. But he doesn't come bursting in through the door. He doesn't come leaping over the top and, and scare everyone out. He, he instead decides to plant lies. And he begins to talk to different chickens to, to get them to believe something that ultimately is not true. And of course, if you know the story of Chicken Little, you know that he goes around saying, The sky is falling! The sky is falling! And by the time that the, the whole story is over, uh, the cartoon, you, you have this whole pen of chickens knowing that the safety is within these walls. And yet, because they have believed the lie, they sprint out. They sprint out of the, the chicken pen. And the last scene has this little note over the foxhole out for dinner. And I think, when Satan cannot persecute Christians enough to get them to be unfaithful, when he cannot crush the church physically, by the kind of opposition that sometimes comes to Christians in the world, then what he will do is peer through a knothole and he will try and get the church to believe a lie. He will try and get them to believe a non-truth that he will witness to them and try and get them to buy into something that quite frankly is untrue. In other words, Satan would like us to believe that the buckles of holiness that will keep us and hold us are optional. If you have a Bible, go ahead and join me. I'm going to be in Revelation chapter 2 in verse 18. Revelation chapter 2 in verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have one. There's one in your pew Bible in front of you. Go ahead and grab one of those. Page 862 is where I'm going to be today. And you can follow along. When Satan wants to kill churches, he plants lies. Verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. It's the pat on the back. boy, Good job. It's not sarcastic, it's sincere. 
And there's some things that Jesus is really proud of. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I am He who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned of Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes, to him who conquers, to him who has victory and does my will to the very end, I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with an iron scepter and he will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. And I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's this woman named Jezebel. Now my guess would be that as Jesus speaks of this woman who's named Jezebel, we hear about her first in verse 20, uh, that he is alluding to an Old Testament figure whose name was Jezebel. See, Jezebel was a queen. She was the queen of the king Ahab. And, and really, we knew, uh, if you read the story going back into the Old Testament uh, sometime, you'll find that Jezebel wore the pants in the relationship. She kind of controlled what happened and how things went. And perhaps the worst thing was that Jezebel had taken all of Israel and she had taken the prophets and killed them and then she had taken the rest of Israel and tried to drag them into immorality. So I believe what Jesus is saying here is uh, there was this woman, I doubt her name was actually Jezebel, but who acts like Jezebel and, and she's lying to the church. You remember uh, that Satan would desire to destroy churches by deceiving them, by lying to them. Uh, later on, uh, Jesus says, when he's giving this excruciating consequences to not repenting, he says, I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. See, the idea is that Jezebel, whoever this woman was, uh, was probably coming uh, into the church and had a teaching that went something like this. Hey, do you guys, guys want to know something super secret and special about Jesus? Do you want to be a super secret follower of Jesus? Like, because I've learned something that if you know it, it will free your entire life. And whoa, won't it be wonderful? And so all the Christians begin to kind of put their ear to the ground, 
Yeah, tell us more. And in the first century, there was this idea that the physical, anything to do with the physical body was bad. But anything to do with the spiritual, the non-physical, was super good. And, and so it's thought by many scholars that the lie that Jezebel was telling the church was this. Hey, if you are already a follower of Jesus, if you're one who already knows that your soul has been saved, then you don't need to worry about your physical body. And so whatever you do physically doesn't matter because your spirit's already saved. Woohoo! Can you imagine all the things that you now get to do? Going to the strip club because you happen to be in a Christian business is no longer a big deal because, well, after all, your soul has already been saved. Because that would be in the physical body. And since, after all, that your spirit's already been saved, you're good to go. Right? I mean, if, if you happen to be a... a a restaurant owner, it doesn't really matter what you do physically, and it doesn't matter if you push alcohol sales on anybody because, well, after all, it doesn't really matter what you do with your physical self because Jesus has already saved you, so you're good. doesn't matter. If you happen to be a Christian who who is wrestling in a, in a relationship and, and one of the, the people in the relationship says, hey, why don't we just move in together? It doesn't really matter then, right? Because after all, you've already been saved. See, I wonder if the lie in our day is, is not necessarily this, this crazy contrast between what's physical and what's spiritual. But I wonder if it's the contrast between what is sacred and what is secular. As if, as if what I do on Sunday morning, that's sacred. And I, I, will, I will gladly hold on to that. But the rest of the week is the rest of the week. And we can walk into our business and we can walk into our work and we can walk into our school and perhaps the lie that Satan is trying to tell us is, is simply this. Well, it's not spiritual, it's just business, right? That somehow I can privatize my own religion with Jesus with no strings attached. And I can live however I want. Because after all, I know Jesus. And I wonder, I wonder if this was the problem in Thyatira. I wonder if this could potentially be a problem for churches in America with Christians who wrestle with everyday life. And if Jesus isn't giving us the warning that how we live actually does matter. You see, Satan will always try and deceive us by telling us something that isn't true. So how is it that we, how is it that we will combat this? How is it that we will combat this, this sort of lie? 
Well, the answer really is when, when we hold to, to boundaries of holiness, when, when we click in to boundaries of holiness that God gives to us, then we will conquer and partner with Christ. Notice, notice this text as it, as it begins to go through. At the very end of the text, he, he says in verse 25, hold on to the, to the Thyatirans. He says, only, only hold on to what you have until I come. The first question I asked as I, I looked through that was, well, what in the world is he asking us to hold on to? There's something in this text that appears more than once. It seems to be something that, that, that shows up in a way that, that is asking us to live in such a way, to make choices in such a way, that we would regularly belt ourselves in to God's holiness. He says in verse 19, Jesus is speaking. He says, I know your deeds. Your faith and love, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I know your deeds, he says. Uh, go down just a little further. When he begins to say, I am he who searches hearts and minds, I will repay each of you, he says, according to your deeds. Now, if you're anything like me, this automatically creates some conflict in you. Like, there's this tension. Like, if you've been around the church at all, you, you recognize this wonderful grace and forgiveness of Jesus that's offered to everyone that comes apart from any sort of deed or work. You see, I, I can't work my way to heaven. Thank goodness. But it seems that I might miss out if my deeds don't demonstrate who it is I am. That salvation comes with deeds that are a demonstration of who I am. It's interesting, isn't it? That throughout Revelation, there is a word used of those who follow Jesus. It's, it's the holy ones. Another word we sometimes use when we talk about holy ones is saints. Christians, you are all saints. You are all holy ones. If you have ever said, I consider myself a follower of Jesus. If you have walked through the waters of baptism. If you have... It, if you have, have said consistently, I, I desire to live as someone who follows Christ, this is who you are. You, you sitting right here in this room, are saints. And it demands of you, and it demands of me, that we live our lives in a holy way. We simply can't get around it. You see, who we are is, is intimately connected with what we do. If I love my children, I will discipline them, right? If who I am as, 
as a, as a husband, is one who loves my wife, and I will, I will figure out real-life expressions in order to love her. If I am a Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I will find real-life expressions in my everyday life where I will buckle in to holiness. And it shows up, doesn't it? I mean, it shows up for me. When I'm 8, 9, 10 years old, and I'm going to a birthday party. And even though I'm struggling with trying to figure out how I get accepted, how I get in, I have to make a decision at 8, 9, or 10 years old. Hey, will I, will I watch this movie or won't I? And I couldn't have articulated it to you at the time, but I'm sitting here thinking now, you know what? I was trying to say I'm going to be buckled into holiness. And so I said that night, I'm sorry guys, I can't. So I had to go back in a room by myself. And I sat, I sat in a, in a bedroom by myself playing old Nintendo games until my mom could come pick me up while everybody else got to spend the night. And it means for that salesman who has to entertain high-profile clients that he or she is going to have to make real decisions about whether or not they're really clicked into God's holiness. Which way will I live? Because holiness matters. And for the Christian who owns the restaurant, will I, will I push alcohol sales on everybody else so that I can line my pocket and make sure that economically I'm a little more secure than I would be if I didn't do it? And how about the man or the woman who happens to be dating and and they're thinking about marriage, but let's just try it out. Let's just live together beforehand. The, the Christian is going to have to make this decision about buckling it. Now to all, to all of this, Jesus says, to the one who conquers to the one who's faithful, to the one who will have victory over those kinds of scenarios. There's a reward. Uh, he, he says it's beautiful. Uh, he says, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He quotes, uh, he quotes Psalm 2. It's a psalm that really talks about the Messiah. It's a psalm that talks about uh, the Christ who is to come, the one who is going to be the Savior. The psalm is all pointed at the Messiah and the kind of authority that He will have over all. And Jesus is saying to the one who will buckle themselves in and hold on to holiness, He gets to partner in the kind of authority that I will have. You see, 
Jesus is going to have that authority over all, but He's not going to use it so that He might squash everyone. He's going to use it and give it away. And you and I will get to partner with God in the authority that He has. And there's another image that He uses right at the very end. Verse 28, I will give Him the morning star. Later on in the book of Revelation, Jesus calls Himself the morning star. He says, hey, if you, if you will hold on, if your deeds will be the expression of the, the holiness that you were holding on to in this life, I will come and be with you myself. And you will have presence with me. Gang, Satan would des- desire to destroy anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus. He would desire for anyone to say, I'll jettison the life of holiness because ah, it doesn't really matter. He would desire anyone to say, I'll be sacred on Sunday but secular the rest of the week. So your question is just simply this. Will you click it or tick it? Will you click into the boundaries of God's holiness? Or will you accept the ticket of consequence that Jesus will bring for those that buy a lie? Because spirituality is our business. Click it or ticket. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. I, I ask, Father, that, uh, that you, will, you will raise the bar for us in our relationship with you. Uh, first of all, Lord, that we will just recognize the, the areas of our own life where, where we need to be confronted with the situation and help us to choose that which is good. And may our life be a demonstration of the salvation that you offer to us. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. And I even thank you for your critique. That, Lord, we will find conviction to live like you. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. There are many Christians this morning that are already here. And you're wrestling with the tension of this message. There are some of you that maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, I have no idea what that all really means. But I am challenged to try and figure out what holiness really looks like. And so if that is you, you can come forward. You can not come forward. You can talk to us out in the lobby. You can talk to the friend that brought you here this morning. But make no mistake, for any who would come to Jesus, for myself, for those people that you see on stage, for those leaders in this church, 
for everybody who walks through those doors and says they're a follower of Jesus. Holiness is the bar. And we want to help you do that. So come see me. Come see Josh. Meet us out there. Come up front. We'd love to talk. Let's stand and sing together.